Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Matthew 26, starting at verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. When he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said to him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. I was thinking this week on the life of Peter, and I can't imagine studying his life and seeing how God was molding and making this great servant, if all of our knowledge would have ended right here, if the book of Acts had not been written, can you imagine our thoughts or our opinion of Peter? I mean, without the book of Acts, if we would have ended on this note with his denial, three times when he's approached, he repeatedly and adamantly states that he doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, although I'm one of Peter's biggest fans, and although I appreciate the fact that he was constantly learning and asking questions, and he, he was always right there, I personally think there were times when he just ran right into the back of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was so close and so fervent, so zealous, and always wanting to participate. But in the midst of this, if his life would have ended with this story, everything would have ended with a negative connotation, and I think we would have been left with a sour taste in our mouth. But thankfully, we know he got up, and there were more chapters to come. Now, here's, here's what I want to mention, and here's the thought I want to leave with you this morning. Really, there's so much yet to be accomplished in our lives, but Christians fall down. And let me just say this. Although you've been saved, you have a human nature, and uh, you will fall. You'll make mistakes. And when we talk about falling down, really this encompasses a lot of things from emotional despondency Sometimes we just go into neutral spiritually. How many of you have ever been there before? You know, you just become distant. That fervency isn't what it should be. You realize that the Bible reading that you're doing has become stale. You're becoming very indifferent when it comes to souls. Or maybe you come to church and you just don't feel the same Holy Spirit movement in your life. And here's what we have to do, whether it's a sin or whether it's depression, what, whatever hole you find yourself in, in the Christian life, we've got to realize we are going to fall down. We are going to fail. That's what human nature does. We don't justify it, but we do understand the need to get up quickly. And here's what I appreciate about Peter and about Peter's life. 
Here was a man that was not perfect, but here was a man that constantly and quickly bounced right back up. And Christians, here's what you can't do. You can't let failure define your life. And here's how failure will define your life. If when you make a mistake or if when you fall into sin or if when you find yourself just distant from the Lord Jesus Christ, you allow that chapter in your life to become a long chapter, a prolonged chapter. And if you don't say, okay, I've got to get up quickly, I can't allow this moment to become a month or a year or a decade or a lifetime. Right? Now, the only difference between a good Christian and a bad Christian is one gets up quickly and the other one doesn't. One prolongs the agony of defeat. And here's what I like about Peter. Go back to Matthew 14 because we'll look at a few of his failures, a few of his bad moments. And I want you to notice how quickly he rebounds from these bad moments. Matthew chapter 14. And let me just say this. Because Peter was part of the inner circle, matter of fact, Peter was the leader of the disciples. If you read uh, when Christ chose the 12, they're broken up into groups of four. There are three distinct groups of four. Matter of fact, the last four that are mentioned, we almost know nothing about. The first four are Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Those are the four that we know the most about. Those are the most prominent. But when you're in a position of leadership like Peter, your faults are going to be highlighted because you're in the spotlight. So we know a lot more about the faults of Peter than we do the rest of the disciples. But here's one of the reasons we know more about his faults, because he was more active in his participation. He was more eager. He was the one with the most initiative, which put him in a spot to fail more often than the rest. Look what happens in chapter 14. You know the story. They're out on the sea and the Lord Jesus Christ comes walking out in the midst of the storm and they see him, they cry out in fear and Christ says in verse 27, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Look what Peter says, verse 28. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come out onto the water. And he said, come. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Now, to me, it's ironic that people would actually criticize Peter at this moment. This is one of his first failures that's highlighted in Scripture. And people say, well, I can't believe that Peter took his eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there were 12 disciples on that boat and only one willing to take that step of faith and show initiative to even walk out on the water. I can appreciate that. I can respect that. But you know what he did? As soon as he started to sink, as soon as he started to fall, he cried out, the Lord saved him. Now, knowing Christians, I would say Peter took a little bit of verbal abuse for this from the other disciples. Uh, Peter, your shining moment. You got soaked. I'm sure there was a little bit of jesting that went on. And look what it says in chapter 15, verse 15. Here's what I appreciate about Peter. Immediately, you see him back with Christ. You see him back in the forefront. 
And here's Peter in verse 15 of chapter 15. Then answered Peter and said to him, declare unto us this parable. Now here's what he did. Peter learned a lesson in humility. He learned a lesson in faith, but he didn't go into a shell. He didn't suffer the embarrassment and say, well, you know, if everyone's going to poke fun at me and make fun of me when I fall down and, and mess up, then I'm not even going to try to do anything. Right? He bounced right back up. And here's what we do as Christians. We step out by faith. We take on a new challenge. We do something out of the ordinary. And then when we fall and there are a few comments made, we go into a shell and say, well, if that's the way Christians talk, I'm not even going to try. Folks, you need to understand in life, we're dealing with human nature. Don't ever stop expecting human nature to be human nature. Right? Well, they're Christians. They still have a human nature. And here's why I respect Peter. He bounces back up. And let me just say this. Peter is constantly learning. He's constantly growing. He's constantly improving. And he's doing this because he's so close. He's asking questions. He's experiencing more than the other disciples are experiencing because he's willing to take risks. He's willing to offer his services. He's willing to take on a challenge. And that means a few more mess-ups, a few more bad moments in the spotlight. But Christ likes this, and this is why he's part of the inner circle. And let me just say this. If you look at the life of Christ, he spent additional time with Peter, James, and John, and a leader doesn't always have the time. There are time restraints in this life, amen? Because of responsibility, because of obligations. And a leader would like to be intimate and personal with everyone under his care. It's just not possible. And here's what he did. He especially invested his time in these three. We see the investment paying off, but it doesn't pay off in perfection. It pays off in mistakes, but after that mistake is made, a lesson is learned, and Peter quickly rebounds. Look what it says in chapter 16, because we go from one mistake to the next, high moments and low moments. Look what it says in Matthew 16, verse 15. Christ asked the disciples, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter, once again, raises his hand. I know, pick me. I know the answer. And then the disciples look in shock because what comes out of his mouth is extremely eloquent and precise. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And the other step back. Did that come from Peter? No, it didn't come from Peter. It was a divine revelation to Peter. God wanted to use Peter. God so desperately wanted to use Peter and he wanted to use his tongue and here's what he did. He spoke right through Peter. I think Peter realized it as soon as he said it. When he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. <laughs> then he stopped and said, wow, that was powerful. <laughs> and here's how Christ responded in verse 17. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father. That was the divine revelation, Peter. 
And now Peter's filling his oats. Peter's thinking about, about everything that comes out of my mouth is pretty powerful. And then Christ speaks of his death. And Peter pulls him aside and says, I'm Christ. Something here we got to get corrected before you teach or preach anymore. Slow down, Peter. <laughs> Slow down. Here's what we do in the Christian life. We're on the same roller coaster. We go from a good moment to a bad moment, a high point to a low point. So he went from giving a direct revelation from God, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, to just moments later being called Satan. Get thou behind me, Satan. So he was at the peak. You know, his chest is out. What you just said was a divine revelation from God. You spoke with great wisdom and power and authority. And the next moment, Christ is saying, hey, Satan, get out of here. You're bothering me. And here's what he could have done. Suffering another moment of humiliation, he could have backed up and backed off and said, I'm no good and I'm of no use. And just about the time I think God's going to use me and use my tongue, and then I just insert my foot, my mouth, and, you know, I'm just going to give this up. I remember in our early years in the church in Mexico, and we're training our teachers. And my kids were sitting in the classes, and every Sunday... You have to understand, these are people that are just learning the Bible. And we were giving them books and, and helps. And we were putting them through institute classes. And we were training them in the Word of God and showing them what stories to teach and what principles to use in those stories. But even then, with the instruction, they would occasionally, I should say, often, more often than not, Teach something in that class that was extra biblical. <laughs> I remember one day at Christopher and Ashley climbing the car and Ashley's nervous and almost teared up and Christopher is got that sly little Christopher look on his face. And I could tell the two were going at each other and Christopher said, Dad, you know what we learned today? That every soul you win is a brick in your mansion. So if you don't win any souls, you don't have a mansion. And Ashley's saying, I've never won a soul. When I get to heaven, I probably won't even have a place to live. <laughs> now, when I address those teachers and every week we'd get together and I had to say, Alejandro, you know what? There's really not a Bible principle to teach that. Not a good idea to take a second or third grader and let them know you're going to get to heaven and you're going to see three bricks. <laughs> and the Lord's going to say, so sorry, that's all you earned. I hope it doesn't rain that's not a biblical teaching. But here's what those teachers did. They, they took the instruction, they took the reproof and rebuke and exhortation, 
And over the years, they grew in that leadership position, but they grew because they said, okay, we made a mistake today. We all have to go back and correct that next week in class, but we're still learning. We're still growing. And in the Christian life, you don't ever want to make a mistake, fall down, feel sorry for yourself, and then refuse to get up. All of us make mistakes. I've made mistakes as a father. I've made mistakes as a husband. I've made mistakes as a pastor. But each time, whether that, listen, whether that was a mistake or whether that was a willful sin, whether that was an error or a lack of discretion, each time I've been forced immediately to get back up. How many of you ever been bucked off a horse and then there's some goofy person behind you says, Listen, you've got to get back on. But that's really a principle of life. You're going to have those moments, and Peter had those moments, but here's what we see. As soon as he falls out of the saddle, as soon as he bumps his head, as soon as he makes a mistake, he quickly gets back up. Look what it says in chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them into a high mountain apart. Now, just six days later, he's going up with the Lord Jesus Christ to the Mount of Transfiguration. He's quick to rebound. So, six days earlier, he was being called Satan. Less than a week later, he's experiencing the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? He said, if I get knocked down, I'm not going to stay down because I lost a round doesn't mean I lost the fight. I can still get up. I can still be used. I remember when I was in Bible college, there was a young man, a friend of mine. He just kind of hit a low moment and he gave up and he did something he shouldn't have done, got kicked out of school and said, you know what? He was called to preach. He said, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to pastor. I don't even care anymore. I'm going back. I'm going to the world. God gave him a gift called leukemia. He went to the hospital. They gave him just a short time to live. We prayed. God did a miracle. Now, if I mention that name today, half this congregation would know who I'm talking about. I will not mention his name because most of you don't even know that chapter in his life. You know why? Because for the past 20 years, he's been a greatly used servant of God because he fell down and got back up. And he said, that bad chapter will be a short chapter in my life. I'm going to get out and under the power and influence of the Holy Ghost, write a new chapter. Now, folks, if that's a bad chapter in life, why do you want to make it 187 pages long? A smart person would say, I want that to be the shortest chapter of my life. Let's go make a good chapter, a long chapter. Amen? And then you see in Matthew 26, he falls down again. And something interesting I want you to notice about his denial in Matthew chapter 26 is the fact that Peter's strength was his boldness. And, you know, you would think that we'd be exempt from sin in our areas of strength, but oftentimes that's where we find ourselves overconfident in falling. So the man who was the boldest of all the disciples, now in a moment of confusion and cowardice, denies the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you thought about 
Abraham and Abraham's sin. Abraham was called a man of faith. If you read Hebrews 11 and Romans chapter 4, the Bible uses terms such as he wavered not, he staggered not. Here's a man that held firm. But where did Abraham fall? In his unbelief. He took Hagar and had a son outside the will of God. He did that in unbelief. Think about Moses, the meekest man that ever lived. That one mistake that we see in his life, what was it? He became angry, he lashed out, he smote the rock in frustration and anger. Yeah, the meekest man that ever lived. What about Paul? That one blot, that one blight on his character. When did that happen? Remember the man that was apostle to the Gentiles? Took three missionary trips? Turned the known world upside down for God? Do you remember what happened? He went back to Jerusalem. He made a Jewish vow. He fell back under the Jewish laws and customs that he'd argued with the other disciples about. Be careful. Because that Era in your life that you feel like is your greatest strength may be the point that Satan attacks you because of overconfidence. And we see Peter. In overconfidence, what did he say when Christ said, tonight, you'll betray me? And Peter said, I'm not only willing to go with you, I'm willing to be put in prison and to die. Oh, and just a few hours later, he finds himself denying the Lord Jesus Christ three times. You better be careful you don't get overconfident. And you better say, okay, you know what? At some point in my life, I may fall, but I'm predetermined. I'm going to get up quickly. Let's look one more case, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Peter was extremely impulsive. And here's what I like about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ tried to put something subconsciously into Peter's mind. Do you remember when Peter met Christ, his name was changed from Simon to Cephas. It's Simon to Peter. And you know what Peter means, a stone. Now, was Peter a rock? Was Peter a stone? What's a stone mean? Someone that's firm, unbending, unmoved. Was that Peter? No. So can you imagine if I took David and said, David, I'm going to change your name from henceforth and forever. I'm going to call you The Rock. And I see Dave, and he's with the crowd he shouldn't be with. And I say, hey, Rock, Rocky, hey, Stone, did you read your Bible this morning? Hey, Stone, I missed you at visitation last Saturday. Do you understand what Christ did? He gave him a name to preset his direction and say, I need you to be firm. I need you to be a leader. But we see Peter occasionally making a mistake. Galatians chapter 2. Look what Paul says about Peter in verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James that he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come in, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. So once again, let me just quickly catch up to date what Paul is talking about. There was an incredible thing taking place in Antioch. This was the first 
a Gentile church to be established. The gospel was spreading. This church was growing. And Barnabas took Paul. They began to disciple these new converts. And these converts were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, here's what the church in Jerusalem did. The church in Jerusalem was very exclusive. They still weren't convinced that the Gentiles could be saved. And if they could be saved, they certainly had to conform to the Jewish way of living, especially circumcision. So they send Peter up there to take a look at what's going on. And Peter quickly falls in love with these new converts. And Peter actually starts enjoying pork ribs. And he knows that God's moving. And he says, I can't deny what God is doing in this town, what God is doing in this place. But the church sends a few more men up. These were Judaizers. These were men that were firmly standing on the fact that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and they had to conform to Jewish law. And as soon as these men that were adamantly for the Gentiles living as the Jews got into town, Peter distanced himself from these new Gentile converts and was embarrassed because one of them the next Sunday in the presence of these Jerusalem leaders invited him to Rudy's <laughs> to eat some barbecue ribs. And they said, Peter, you do barbecue pork ribs? And he said, not so. I love the sauce, but I don't do the ribs. If I go, I only eat the chicken. And Paul said, I had to stand up and say, Peter, if we go to Rudy's, we go together. And here's what Peter did. He quickly got up. Go with me to Acts chapter 15. Because when they held the council at Jerusalem and dealt with this matter of the Gentiles being saved and whether or not they had to conform to the Jewish law, Peter stands up in Acts 15, verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. You know what he did? He was rebuked. He admitted his mistake, he corrected it, he got up and did the right thing. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. Peter was used of God because he said, my life doesn't end with Matthew 26. My life doesn't have to stop right here. Just because I fell, because I denied Christ, I'm still young, I can still write some better chapters. Now, let me ask you this. If your life stopped at this moment, what would you be remembered for? The good thing is, your life hasn't stopped at this moment. You still have a lot of life to live. So, as Christians, we have to say, listen, I'm not going to stay down, whether it's in despair, despondency. Maybe it's a sin. Maybe you're distanced from God. Maybe you're just frustrated. Maybe you're just coasting. Maybe you're in neutral spiritually. That's not the way you want to be remembered. But don't make this a long chapter. Get up. Move forward. And let me just say this. When you get up, make sure you get up the right way. 
Here's another thing I appreciate about Peter. When he made a mistake and when he got up, he got up the right way. He would confess, immediately confess. You know, it's amazing how the younger generation wants to get up. They don't want to confess their sin. They don't want to make things right. Now, when you get up, you need to make things right with authority. You need to make things right with the Holy Spirit. Because we have a generation of young people who want to get up on their own terms and say, I'm going to move forward with the same garbage, the same trash, the same evil spirit, and you should accept the fact that I'm just moving forward. That's not moving forward. So when you get up, you need to get up the right way. But let me say this, number two. When you fall, and that is a when, that's not if. When you fall, make sure you learn something from the experience that way your fall wasn't wasted. Now, it's a bad experience. It's a horrific experience. If you fell, got up, and never learned a single thing. When you fall down, there's something that should be learned in the experience. And here's what you find in the life of Peter. There was a lesson in Christ was trying to teach Peter a lesson every time he fell. Christ was saying, you know what, Peter? There's some humility you need to learn here. There's a lesson in love. There's a lesson in restraint. There's a lesson in sacrifice. And you see, at that moment when Christ says, get thou behind me, Satan. He's trying to teach him, Peter, you're overconfident. Humble yourself. He learned a lesson in love. Go read the second epistle of Peter, chapter 4. You'll find out he loves the brethren and he's trying to express to us that we ought to love God and the brethren also. He learned the lesson. Do you know why Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ? He was fearful of the sacrifice that was involved. But you know what? In John chapter 21, when he's addressed again with following Christ and Christ foretells his death, his crucifixion, Peter's crucifixion. He teaches Peter a lesson in sacrifice, and Peter learns the lesson. Let me ask you this. How many remember when they come to rest to detain the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter draws his sword and does what? Cuts off Malchus's ear. That's called impulsive, lack of restraint. You know what Christ was trying to teach him? Peter, you can't go through life as a leader, as a preacher, unrestrained. So the next time he's approached by the authority in Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 12, you know what we see? A calm, restrained, self-controlled Christian that had learned his lesson. Let me ask you this. In the Gospels, what was Peter's thinking Concerning relationships, it was John that was the one that was concerned about personal relationships, right? Why do you think Christ put Peter with John, John with Peter? He's trying to balance the two out. Because Peter's out there saying, let's go attack the world. Let's go get something done. Let's go make this happen. And John is saying, no, let's just sit and listen. And Peter said, Okay, I already did that. Now let's go. <laughs> let's just love Christ. I did that already. 
And God said, I need these two to both learn a lesson. And he used John in Peter's life to teach him some love. That's why, remember when Christ got out the water in that wash pot and he knelt down and he pulled Peter's shoes off and he began to wash his feet. Peter said, wait a minute, hold on for a minute. And Christ said, Peter, there's a lesson I'm trying to teach you in this. I'm not just trying to clean your feet. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Because Peter was a quick learner. How many of you ever seen someone make a mistake, fall down, mess up, and then they got up and did the same mistake a week later? Did the same thing. How many say, that's me? I didn't see someone else. I, I did that. Now, here's what Christ wants us to do. He doesn't expect perfection. He doesn't expect you to go through life without ever messing up. He knows your weakness. He knows the frailty of your flesh. He knows how incapable you are. But he says, when you fall down, get up and do it quickly. And when you get up, take a look back, learn from that lesson, say, listen, there's something I need to change. There's a place I need to avoid. There are people that I can't hang around with. There are things I just can't do. I don't want to put myself in that position. So I've learned my lesson. I can move forward. And you know what you see in the book of Acts? A young disciple who's learned a lot of lessons. Amen? Go back with me to Acts chapter 2. When you get up, you've learned your lesson. You need to immediately start moving forward again. You know what you're doing. You're saying, okay, that last chapter wasn't so good. I'm going to write a new chapter, but I want this next chapter to be the best chapter of my life. Whatever chapter you're living, whatever chapter you're writing should be the best chapter that you ever write. The one you're writing right now, that should be your goal. That should be your objective. Now, here's what we do in Acts chapter 1. If you just go through the first 15 chapters, here's what you're going to see. Every day just gets a little better. Every moment becomes another mountain peak for Peter because he'd learned his lessons. He'd made his mistakes. He had gotten up and he said, I want the Holy Ghost to use me in a special way. Now, let me just say this about getting up. You know what getting up is in a nutshell? It's you surrendering to the Holy Spirit submitting to his will and saying, today I want you to live through me today to be honored and glorified in my life. That's getting up. And you can't get up until you say that. Because if you get up and say, you know what, I'm going to continue doing my will, you haven't gotten up. You're going to stay in the same pit. But when you say, I want the Holy Spirit honored and glorified today in my life, and what you see in Acts is not the work of a man. This is not something that Peter does naturally, but supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, you know what you see? Peter learned his lesson in prayer, and now he's holding this prayer meeting, stirring these people up, reviving their faith, saying, let's just pray. Let's just pray down the power of God. Let's pray till God moves. And boy, did he ever move. And here's what happened. Everything in Peter's life from this point on is just up. It's an upward path. Look what it says in Acts uh, 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up and he gets with this prayer meeting and he begins to exhort them. Chapter 2, verse 14. But 
Peter standing up. You know what he's getting ready to do? He's getting ready to preach and the power of God falls. 3,000 souls get saved. Look what it says in chapter 3, verse 1. Everything is in an upward direction. Now Peter and John went, what's it say? Up. They went up to get, are you going up? Are you taking someone down or up? Now, just because he fell down doesn't mean he's going to take people down. He said, I'm going to change my direction. I'm going to get up. Then I'm going to grow up. I'm going to go up. He goes up into the temple. What happens? A man that's been lame for 40 years. Everyone that goes to the temple has seen him, has passed by. At some point, they've probably given him money, probably taken him Thanksgiving dinners and offered him pillows and plates of food and shown great kindness to him, but now that same man that they knew by name and knew that he had suffered suddenly is healed. He's leaping and dancing for joy. A crowd gathers, and once again, Peter has an opportunity to preach. Can you imagine this? The power of God falls in thousands. 5,000, the Bible says, in all, are saved. And every single chapter in Acts from 115 speaks of Peter and the power of God in his life. And then in chapter 9, he goes to, listen, God uses him greatly in the early church of Jerusalem. And God uses him in the church of Antioch. And then in chapter 9, he goes to Joppa. How many remember the story of Tabitha? That godly woman in the city that got sick and died. And Peter shows up and he raises her from the dead. Now, there are just a handful of people in the history of the world that ever had the privilege or the power of God to raise someone from the dead back to life. And Peter had that privilege. You know why? Got up. And then, remember in Matthew 16 where Christ says, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom? Now, thankfully, that wasn't just a promise for Peter, but for all of us. But Peter was able to, with that key, open up the door to the Gentiles because the Holy Spirit comes, leads him to the house of Cornelius, the Gentile. And suddenly we see his entire house miraculously getting born again through Peter. Now, let me just say this. When you see all that Peter did and all that Peter accomplished, he wrote First and Second Peter. 30 years of productive ministry. Let me ask you this. When did all of that happen? What was the timing of that? After Matthew 26. After that horrific moment. After that dark night in his life where he just laid on the dirt and he wept and he said, I've just cursed. I've just denied my Savior. I've just distanced myself I've just thrown away all the good that was invested in me. There's no hope. I don't have any future. I'm done. Pentecost came after the denial. The healing of the lame man came after the denial. The raising of Tabitha from the dead came after the denial. The 5,000 that were saved after one message came after the denial. If you get up and you move forward and you learn the lesson, your best days are still yet to come. Now, here's the way to lose those best moments. 
If you're laying down in that pit of despair and you're despondent, you say, man, I'm just, you know, I goofed up. I messed up. There's no way God can use me. You know, I'm just, I, I can't get it together. Preacher, I'm just a neutral. I just don't know what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on. You need to get up and get up quickly and learn from the experience and say, God still wants to use me. And here's what you want to do. Here's what you want to determine to do. Let me say this. We're done. You need to determine your heart and mind. The last chapter is going to be the best chapter. I'm just going to make sure every chapter gets a little bit better. When I get up, every time I get up, I'm going to be a little more productive, a little wiser, a little more careful, a little more discreet, a little more determined. Now, I'd like to find somebody in here that hasn't fallen and fallen repeatedly. Is there someone in here that say, I've lived a pretty perfect life over the past 30 years. Pastor, you can put the spotlight on me. I want you to bring up my kids and interview my wife because I've been an amazing testimony of faithfulness, determination, commitment, and righteousness. My life, my Christian biography is going to powerfully change and motivate this congregation. We know better than that. We know we don't want anything put up on the big screen. Say, preacher, if you're going to put something on the big screen, please put up someone on this side of the auditorium. Don't bother with my life. Now, we all know of our failures. Repeatedly, life throws that in our face. And if life doesn't, a friend does or a mate does or someone does at some point, right? Now, here's what you want to do. You want to say, I'm still alive. That means there's still hope. That means you can still write a good chapter. And here's, listen, here's why we admire Peter. And here's why he's one of my favorite characters in all the Bible. Because he just got up. He pressed on. He moved forward. He said, I can get a little bit better. And he ended well. And if after we see him not just having a very successful ministry, not just seeing a lot of people saved and Christians strengthened, but in the end, when Nero is slaughtering Christians, he wants to eliminate the 12 apostles and historians say that there, maybe even possibly in the Colosseum in Rome, that Peter was hung and at the last moment he said, listen, I do not, I cannot die in the same manner as my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy. Historians tell us that he watched his own wife crucified. And his last words to his wife were these. Remember our Lord. Remember our Lord. Now listen, here's why we respect Peter. Not because he was perfect. There's some ugly, ugly chapters in his life. There were some faults. There were some failures. You know what Peter did? He got up. He got up quickly. He learned he said, I've got a new day. I can write a new chapter. This isn't the end of my life, and I will end well. And let me say, for your sake, for your testimony's sake, for your children's sake, it'd be a good thing to get up. Amen. And say, today, I can write a new chapter. And everything in my past isn't a beautiful thing. There are things I want to forget. There are chapters I don't even want my own children to read. But I do know this. I'm writing a new chapter today, 
and this could be the best chapter of my entire life. Some of you need to start writing a new chapter in your marriage. Some of you need to start writing a new chapter in your walk with God. Some of you need to start writing a new chapter in your service for the Lord. Some of you need to pull out of neutral today and say, you know what, I'm going to get back into gear and put an end to this old chapter. And some of you need to simply say this, you know what, I've drawn out this bad chapter long enough. Six days is too long. Six months is too long. A decade is horrifically too much time to be sitting in that pothole of despair and despondency and saying, you know what? One of these days, I'm going to turn the corner. Today, today is a good day to confess, make things right, and say, you know what? Today, I start a new chapter. I may have denied the Lord repeatedly, but tomorrow, I'm going to get up because I know there could be a Pentecost. If I just get up, get focused, get right, get determined, say God still wants to use me. And God still does. Amazingly, God still wants to use you. Have you ever thought about that? Amazingly, God in his patience says, I don't care. You know what he did? Here's one of the most amazing things about the story of Jonah. Jonah did not want to be used. In every chapter, he was taking good chapters and turning them into bad chapters. In every good chapter, every good thing that God wanted to do in Jonah's life, he just found a way to turn it into another bad chapter. And another bad chapter. And here's here's what's amazing. Hundreds of years later, God's still trying to use Jonah, so he uses him in the Gospels in reference to his son. Because he said, Jonah, you know what? In your lifetime, every time I used you, wanted to use you, you were determined to limit the way I could use you. But I'm not giving up. Like it or not, I'm going to be patient and use you as often as possible. Aren't you glad for the patience of God? Aren't you glad? Despite who you are, what you've done, God still in love and mercy says, you know what? I don't care how old you are, how many times you've fallen. I want to use you. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.